Ephesians 6, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak but that ye also may know my affairs and how I do. Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful minister, in the Lord shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye may know our affairs, and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. We just trust the Lord. To bless his word to our hearts this morning. So Paul has sent this letter. He's in prison. And he sent this letter to the church of Ephesus. And if we go back further, we will see that Paul is telling them that we are at war. Ephesians 6 and 12, he says, we, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so we are at war. And you know, church, we are at war today as Christians and we believe that this imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe as historists that that's all that has to happen. Uh, you can, futurists have different views, but the one thing we all do have in common is that our Lord's return is imminent. And knowing that it's imminent, then we know that the devil is as a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may destroy. And you know, the world and the things of the world, they have control of the media, they have control of uh, all t uh, social medias, all these things. They have control of governments. And this is what we are wrestling against. We are in a battle. And you've only got to watch the news and Watch television and see some of the posts on social media to see that the things of God now are being made evil and the things of evil are being made good. And this is the war that we are in. They're trying to silence Christianity. Christianity above all things. There was a uh, trans representative, activist, whatever they call themselves, and there was a recording of her in the American news where there was a, an attack on a Jewish synagogue, and rightly so, she condemned it and said it was wrong, and she's right, it was worse than wrong. Then they uh, had another clip off her, and there was an attack on a mosque, and again, rightly, she totally and absolutely condemned it, and she was right to do that. It was wrong. But then they attacked a Christian school, and in interviewing her, she said that it's because Christians hate trans people. And so it lets you know what's going on, church. Christianity is the one that's being attacked. But you know something, not only do we know we're in a war, but God knows we're in a war. And God has equipped us for the battle because we have the weapons of war. And we see these weapons of war in Ephesians 6, 13 to 17, where Paul's speaking to the church, telling them that they're in this war, exhorting them to do something, take on to you the whole armor of God. Why, Paul? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod by the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And so Paul gives us and lists for us the armor of God, which we are to put on. And we are to stand firm in it. But then he goes on and he tells us about our ultimate weapon. Our ultimate weapon. And we see that in verse 18. He says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Keep on praying for all the saints. So prayer, Paul describes as our ultimate weapon, our ultimate line of defense, our ultimate method of attack is prayer. You know, history, they're, well, I don't know if they're celebrating the D-Day landings or remembering them, but there was a man in the news this morning had just received his medal. And uh, I think he's 102 or something, and he's only received his medal, and he's very proud of it. But they were talking also on August the 6th, 1945, after four long years of war, President Harry Truman gave the order he gave the order that the B-29 plane, the Enola Gay, dropped the atomic bomb nicknamed Little Boy in Hiroshima in Japan. And the world woke up that day. The bomb that was dropped, <coughs> it was one of the largest, well, was the largest explosion into a fireball with a magnitude of which had never been seen before. A couple of days later, I believe, they, they dropped the bomb in Nagasaki. And this brought the end of the Second World War. Then recently in the Iraqi war, the Islamist terrorists were saying they would never be defeated and they're, they're going to fight every man to the death. And uh, the Allies dropped on what was called the Massive Ordnance Airburst Bomb. This, was the mo this is the most powerful conventional non-nuclear bomb ever dropped and it was used by Allied forces. And again, it brought an end to the war there. And you know, sadly, sometimes in war, the situation calls for the most powerful weapon at your disposal. See, the Japanese had said that they will never be defeated and they will fight till the last man. And they looked like an undefeatable enemy. And President Truman and his advisors uh, must have decided, well, then the only way to end this is to use the best weapon at our disposal. And again, we don't know the details, but in the Iraqi war, the, because of the, the terrorist tactics that they used, they were hard to beat. And once they dropped this bomb, it brought them to, well, back then, a surrender, a load of rose again. But you see, in our battle against spiritual forces of evil, in our battle, and it is a battle, folks, for the souls of men and women. We are in a battle, and that's what the battle is. Battle for the souls of men and women. Battle for the souls of our children, the souls of our brothers, our sisters, our families, our friends, our grandchildren. It is a battle, folks. And the most powerful weapon at our disposal is sadly the weapon that we don't use much, and that's prayer. In these last days, the church needs to get back to being a praying church. Now in our reading, Paul calls on Christians to pray always in every season. Excuse me.
Although Paul gave us a list of the armor of God and he put prayer at the end, Paul was not making it a, 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 an unnecessary weapon or a weapon just if you need it. I think he was stressing it. He was stressing it. Not this wasn't Paul wasn't saying to the church in Ephesus, "This is our, this is your last resort." You know, you have the sword of the spirit. You have the the helmet of salvation. Your your feet shod with the gospel of peace. Your loins girded about with the girdle of truth. They should be okay. He was emphasizing prayer. Prayer is not the last resort when all else fails. And it tends to be, and let's be honest, it tends to be in a lot of our lives. Prayer seems to be the last resort when everything else seems to have failed. But Paul says we are to pray on all occasions and to always keep on praying. He told the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Now we read that and we think, well, if we have a need, what Paul is encouraging us to do is to pray and to pray and to keep praying until God meets that need or God shows us what's best for us uh, and maybe something that we didn't think we needed. But Paul's saying to pray without ceasing on all occasions. And let's be honest, what brings you into the prayer room? What seriously, and I mean, I'm talking to myself, what seriously brings us into the prayer room? What seriously makes us come to, to gather corporately as a church to pray? Is it a need? A specific need? Someone we're worried about. Something we're worried about. But Paul said, even if there are times when we're not worried about things, we should still be praying. We should still be seeking the face of the Lord. Why? Because it is the foundational weapon of spiritual war. And we are in a war, folks. I could keep you here for the next hour, some of the things that are going on today. It's unbelievable. And there's a serious attack on Christianity. Just two Sundays ago, I think, uh, a preacher in Speaker's Corner in London was attacked and beaten badly. And yet there's all sorts of speakers the whole way. I don't know if you've ever seen that. But the whole way around it, there's people speaking and giving off different ideologies and philosophies and people stand and listen, people walk on past. But yet it was a Christian who was attacked and beaten. We are in a war. They want to silence the gospel. They want to silence you and me. It's a serious war. We have a serious enemy. Don't have this little picture in your mind of the devil's a sweet small man with a pointy tail running about with a fork. He is a serious enemy wanting to destroy your life, wanting to destroy God's work. And we need to seek the Lord in prayer. I remember watching a program about the SAS and the uh, sophisticated weaponry they use at specific targets and how they go into different areas and they can call down guided missiles from fighter jets overhead to destroy them. Just again, I watched a, a, a documentary where this ex-SAS guy was showing how he was able to pinpoint where the Islamic leaders were meeting. And from a couple of thousand feet up, he was able to show this jet where to put the bomb. You know, in prayer, we can focus on the things down here and we can call the power down from heaven. We can call power down from God 
the greatest power this world has ever known. It's at our disposal, and we can pick specific targets that we want God to help us, to open doors for us, to, to, to turn people's lives around. We can call down the power from on high. We can focus it on a specific target, and it can make a difference. We need to pray, church. And Paul is calling for more, as I've said, than specific prayers at specific times when needed. Paul is calling you and I to a lifestyle of prayer. A lifestyle of prayer. As I've said, there are definitely times when we go into the prayer room and spend quiet times with the Lord. But this is a call for you and I to continually do that, to make it as, as important as breathing for our natural body. Prayer should be that much important for our spiritual life. It's a call for communion with God. We sing that wonderful hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and grace to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Honestly, do we pray? We can sing these words, but they're just words if we're not carrying them out. And we're not just to pray just a, a, an off the top of the head prayer. We're to, be, we're to ask God. We're to ask for God's help. And Paul says to do this, Christians are to pray in the Spirit. We're to pray in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Well, we know as Pentecostals, we can pray in the Spirit. We can speak in tongues when we can't find the proper words. But what I think Paul is getting at here. It's praying not from what we would call normal prayer. And by that I mean prayers that we were taught when we were younger. Little prayers that we were taught. I told you this before about one we were taught, I think it was in the boys' brigade. Somebody taught us it. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, bless the bed that I lay on. In four corners it is spread. Please will you bless this bed. Now theologically they're wrong because Matthew, Mark, Luke and John's laying in their grave. They can't bless anybody's bed. But these are little prayers we learned. We all learned the Lord's Prayer. But you know, Jesus didn't give us this prayer and just say, these are the words you have to say. What Jesus was saying to the disciples, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. They acknowledge him, you acknowledge God in your prayers as your Father. And you give all glory and all honor and all praise to his name. That's what Jesus is asking. We use these words. But it's rather than repeating what someone else said. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying. Are we genuinely in our prayers saying, Lord, bring thy kingdom. Let thy will, that is a prayer we should be praying today. Thy will be done in this earth. Lives are being destroyed because people aren't living in the will of God. And why are we not praying, thy will be done? Lord, thy kingdom come. That means the power of God coming down upon our land. And the, 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 the big one, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. We want God to supply all our needs. And Jesus said, God does supply all our needs. And then we pray, Jesus instructed us to pray, Forgive us our trespasses. We sin every day. We break God's law unknowingly sometimes, unwittingly. The legalists among us point out that we're not doing this right and we're not doing that right. Remember someone recently pointed out, it's in Deuteronomy, 
Someone was telling them about something that someone had done. Uh, it was a pastor, actually, uh, and he said to this individual, do you know you're sinning? And he says, do you know everybody in this church is sinning? And of course, what, 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 you know? He says, you're wearing two different types of garment. Because it says in Deuteronomy, you're not allowed to wear two different types of garments. So if you have a cotton trousers and a nylon shirt, you're breaking the law. Did you know that? Now, I know that's uh, <laughs> maybe a bit petty there. But the thing is, we need to ask God's forgiveness. Even when we don't think we've sinned, we need to ask God's forgiveness. Because we cannot approach him with sin still in our bags, with the burden of sin still hanging over us. And so we're saying, Lord, forgive us. So what we're praying there and what Jesus asked us to pray for there was an acknowledgement of his mercy. Forgive us this day our daily bread. It was an expectation from God that he was going to forgive us when we asked him. He wasn't going to turn around and say, okay, I'll forgive you if you make this sacrifice and if you do that sacrifice and if you go here, you go there. So it was a, it was a request for God's mercy, but there's a clause, a really, really important clause and we rhyme off the Lord's Prayer. Do we really understand what we are saying? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. We need to be really conscious of that, folks. When I kneel before the Lord and I say, Lord, forgive me if I'm wrong, the Lord's saying, you need to get out and forgive A, B, C, D. Because Jesus himself said, if you cannot forgive your brother, how do you expect God to forgive you? And so these prayers, and when we look at the Lord's Prayer, we kind of... It's like repeating a, a, a hymn without singing, isn't it? But that's not the prayers that God wants. He wants to hear us. He wants to hear us talk to him. There was a, church, a survey done recently in, in American churches. And it says 90% of them pray regularly in some regard. And when you go into the research, again, it's all the repeating prayers they were taught or the reading prayers out of a book. I remember being at a funeral and I couldn't believe it. I was asked to pray. There was another minister from another denomination taking the service. And so he got up and welcomed everyone, thanked everyone for coming, asked me to pray. I stood up and prayed, and he had asked me to stay on the platform with him. So I was sitting behind him, and then he says, we're going to pray. And for about five minutes, he read out of a book this prayer, and everybody re repeated back something else, uh, whatever it was, they prayed, and I felt, you know something? That's out of a book. It's not from the heart. It's someone else's ideas. It's someone else's thoughts. It's someone else's praise. It's someone else's desire for forgiveness. It's someone else's desire to reach out. God wants to hear what you want to say. God wants to hear us call upon him. The things, yes, we are worried about, the things we are concerned about, the things we want God to do in our lives, Let's just talk to God and commune as friend with friend. You know, just because someone is praying, does that really mean that they're truly speaking to God? Or are they just going through the motions as a duty? We need to pray in the Spirit. That means under the influence of the Spirit. That means that you have to not just talk to God, you have to listen to God.
You have to take time. You know, go into your room, our Father's heart in heaven, I'll be thy name, amen, and out again. Take time, sit down, and let God talk to you. Let God talk to you through his word. Just let God talk to you as you meditate on the things of God and the things in your life that you're worried about. The psalmist did this. Read some of the psalms, you'll see it. When he spoke to God, he told the Lord what, was, what he felt was wrong. And then you can see the whole attitude of David changing as God talks to him. And he talks about God's blessing and how God has kept him and how God has watched over him. In Ephesians 5 and 18, it said, Be not drunk with wine or in his access, but be filled with the Spirit. We as Christians are to live our lives under the influence of the Spirit. Under the influence of the Spirit. Not under any other influence. And if we are living, here's the big thing, if we are living under the influence of the Spirit, we'll be praying the things that God wants us to pray for. We'll be saying the things that God wants us to say. And we'll be endeavoring to live the way God wants us to live. But you know, sometimes we can come to the Lord and tell him what we want done. And this is the best way to do it, Lord. This is the way I want to do it. This is the way the world's doing it. We need to pray and be under the influence of the Spirit. It's a call for Christians to be guided and led by the Spirit of God in their prayers. Think their prayers. Make their requests known. Make it a habit. Not, a, not a pray some, some wish list. Lord, give me this. Lord, give me that. Or by the way, such and such needs such and such. But spending time being directed by God. Romans 8, Paul touches on this. He said, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. By his Spirit, he helps us, he leads us, he guides us. And by his Spirit, he encourages us. You know, when we're feeling low and we're feeling the enemy's winning, we just take time and let God talk to us. We will see that he'll give us the victory, that he'll give us the power. And you know something, when you can't find words to say, that's the time to just let God speak to you. It's a Pentecostal, we can speak in tongues as we're on our own with the Lord. And again, it gets our heart right and our mind open for God to speak to us. So when our souls are hurting, and we don't know what to ask, then just listen to the Lord. Then Paul said we're to pray for all the saints. In other words, we're to pray for one another. There's a misuse today in the world, and has been for hundreds of years, of the word saint. You know, some bishop or some head of some church can't make you a saint. According to Paul, we're all saints. It was a term used for all Christians. And so we're to pray for all the saints. We're to pray for one another. We're to pray for the church. Are your brothers and sisters on your prayer list? Is this church on your prayer list? And are you really disciplined about prayer? Do you find time to pray for the church? Do you find time to pray for your brothers and sisters? Do you have that prayer list? You know, prayer list is a good thing. I have a prayer list because quite a lot of people would call me and ask me to pray for this one or that one and you can't remember every name. And so a prayer list is a guide and it's a good thing to have. 
to remember who needs prayer and what uh, they, they need prayer for. Prayer should be high up on our list, church. We need to be in prayer. We need to pray for our elders, all those department leaders, all our brothers and sisters. Because they're in this war with us. They're together with us. We need to pray for all our organizations. We pray for those who who are hurting, who are unable to be with us. We should be praying for them. We need to be in prayer over the ministry of the church and what we're trying to do for God. And then finally, Paul calls on the Christians in Ephesus to pray for him. He says in Ephesians 3 and 1, For this call, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, for you Gentiles. You know, Paul's language, and maybe that's the wrong way I put it, Paul's suffering in a cell, a Roman prison cell. And he doesn't consider himself a prisoner of Rome. He considers himself a prisoner of Christ. And he means for the sake of Christ and for the sake of spreading the gospel, he's been thrown in jail. And he doesn't pray for what we expect him to pray for. He's not praying, God, get me out of here. I remember just saying to folks this morning, I remember seeing the news where some RAF pilots had been shot down and they'd been held captive in this particular place. And it didn't look good and you felt really sorry for them. We cringe when we think of what them poor guys went through. But here's Paul in this cell in Rome. It's not a lighted cell with a TV and all his needs. It's a room. And the light, if he's lucky, he has a window, if not a candle, where he sits and he writes his epistles and sends them out. But Paul's saying to pray for the gospel, to pray for one another, to pray certainly for his rescue or his deliverance. I'm sure he didn't want that. But we need to pray for those who are in positions of spreading the gospel, of working for the Lord. And that's from deacons right through to pastors, to missionaries, to evangelists. We need to be praying for them, and particularly those in persecution. Paul said in Ephesians 6, 19, 20, and for me, the utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul's request was not get me out of here. It was that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. In other words, he might share the gospel. His request was a request for courage so that he might fearlessly continue preaching the gospel. I find that amazing. In prison, cell, and he's praying that people will give, or pray that he would have the courage to continue to witness for the Lord. Wasn't asking for protection, wasn't asking for comfort, wasn't asking for release, but he was asking for courage to stand firm and continue preaching the good, good news. Are we committed, church? Have we the courage today to stand up for the gospel? What if we found ourselves in prison for our beliefs? Would we still proclaim the good news? What if we find ourselves at the wrong end of a revolver? Would we still proclaim the good news? What if we find ourselves beaten and tortured for the sake of Christ? Would we still proclaim the good news? 
We can catch a glimpse of the world in which Paul lived in his final greetings. We go on into 21, 22. He says that ye may know my affairs and how I do. Tychicus, a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and the Lord shall make known to you all things who have sent unto you for the same purpose that ye may know our affairs and that ye might comfort your hearts. Paul was asking them to be courageous. Are we courageous, folks? Are we courageous? Are we not prepared to give up? It's not a great metaphor, but I remember my football days. When I was playing football, I either got the ball or I got you. 100%. Didn't matter if we were getting beat 10-0, I would have given everything. What used to annoy me was people who gave up. And I remember I was captain one year in a summer league. And boy, I didn't have to tell a lot of them off. 1-0 down, 2-0 down, and they want to go home. Or they want to walk back to the shower room. Do you remember playing for a works team once? And best team I ever played for, and I played in the amateur league for some really good teams, but this was the best team that I ever played for, a works team. And do you know why it was good? Not one of them would give up. They fought for 90 minutes for the sake of an old football game. But that's what I loved about it. Every one of them, to a man, from the goalkeeper to the centre forward, they would never give up. They fought for, the, for what they wanted to win. Are we like those that give up? There's people looking at the world today. I remember listening to one preacher and he was talking about people who said the church should just withdraw into the church. The world's so bad, let's all withdraw into the church, lock the doors and wait in the Lord coming. That's not what Paul said. He said, be courageous and get out there and pray and spread the gospel. Pray for the courage to spread the gospel. We were talking earlier on there about the war. And I'm glad people didn't give up then. My grandfather was in the Royal Artillery and he never spoke about the war, but one of his friends was with him one day and he was telling us what they went through. And they were, his regiment or his company were one of the last ones off the beach at Dunkirk, giving cover and fire to let Everyone get off the beach. In fact, we had a gentleman who used to go to this church, Jimmy Stafford. And he was injured at Dunkirk. I mean, I called him Uncle Albert. He got onto a boat and the Germans hit the boat. And he was thrown into the water. He lost an arm. And he had to get a steel plate in his head. So he got him onto a second boat. And the Germans hit the second boat again. And that's why I said, Jim, you're like Uncle Albert there from Only Fools and Horses. But you know what he said and what my grandfather's friend said? Them men that left the beach were the ones that run back onto the beach. They didn't give up. They fought again. They came back. Are we the church? We just want to go off the beach, back home, back into the church, lock the door. The world's winning. No, I don't think so. We want to stand for the Lord. We want to serve God. And God has equipped us, as we've seen at the start, with the armor of God. And he's given us a weapon which no man can stand against. And that's the power of God which comes down through effectual, fervent prayer. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So church, don't wait until you're in a doctor's surgery and you get bad news before you go to prayer. Don't wait till. Something bad happens in your life before you pray. 
The exhortation from Paul and the exhortation from the Lord today is to pray. To pray powerfully, to pray constantly, and to pray for the power of God to come down and pray against the spiritual wickedness in this land that we live in. <laughs> we can do all things and it's good that we do and it's good that we try. Let's keep that up. But you know, there's one thing will give God's church the victory and that's prayer. So let's pray together. Let's pray on our own and we will see things change in the land because they haven't won. They might have won the odd battle but they'll not win the war because greater is he that is in us than he that is in his heart. As the musicians come back, I always think of uh, Psalm 2. Why did the heathen raise and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves against us. They take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. And they say, let us break their bonds asunder. They're meeting to try and destroy us. But you know what David said? The fool had said in his heart, there's no God. We serve a wonderful God and a powerful God. So let's seek his face, let's stand. Let's seek his face for a mighty move in our lives, in our church, and in our land. Let's worship the Lord together.